brought down to earth. This is KB Antonio Bay. Fear, so intense, it will stay with you to the grave and beyond. Where's the fog now? It should be right outside my door now. Oh, well, there's something different about this fog. Dan, stay away from the door. Someone listen to me. Two murders in a town no bigger than a poster stamp. And people watch out for that fog Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. At the end, at the end of each episode, along with our honorary sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, come on, we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for very close to now. a year there are 50 plus bonus episodes so if you yeah. haven't made the jump definitely consider doing that we've hours also and hours we've also content. introduced bonus transmissions and we've done about seven yeah. or eight of those now where we talk about new release movies yeah we just i think we did like four or five six five on the last time? one it was yeah, pretty we did big color out of space some yeah. uncut gems we talked about some good ones it. we got some more coming on the way we do about one a month where we talk some new genre movies yeah uh speaking of which we do have a bunch of people who made the jump to patreon this week so we're gonna thank them here we have uh tony todd which uh think he's naming himself after the genre movie actor <laughs> but maybe that's his real name too we'll give him we'll we'll uh we'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that one uh stephanie monahan uh cory maureen uh vincent just vincent i'm gonna assume that that's tom cruise and collateral vincent. <laughs> absolutely uh and then uh tony scott fan one <laughs> <laughs> He was nice. already in the Discord begging us to do a Tony Scott episode, and I did let him know that we have a uh, Tony Scott uh, double feature coming down the pipeline eventually here. <laughs> uh, as well as Devin McLaughlin, uh, Nathaniel uh, Fewager, and I think that's it. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks so much Appreciate for you. signing up uh, over on the Patreon. Hope you guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes, and we appreciate the support. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The second plug, as always, uh, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, yes, make please. sure to scroll to the very bottom right now as you're listening, right <laughs> to the bottom, and go down there and give us a good old rating and review. It helps us climb the charts over there and find new listeners, and we appreciate that as well. Absolutely. But those are your plugs for the week. Welcome back. I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me as always is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, guys. Uh, two weeks ago, I think would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and uh, we would have had Australian business insider. I think he's the editor over there. I almost said writer, but he's a freelance writer over on Australia. James Hennessy on. He's also a uh, short science great. fiction and horror story writer, and he brought on with him some classic Australian outback road films. Not the one you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. He brought uh, road games. <laughs> From 1981 uh, by so uh, Richard Franklin, and he also brought uh, Stone yeah. from 1974. And that um, that was good too. I mean, it it had its own little uh, 
low budget charm. I mean, the guy's yelling. Well, yeah, Satan, one one is a is, is, is a slasher riff on Rear Window, yeah, and the yeah. other one uh, was a satanic biker hangout film. <laughs> yeah. So if either of those, you gotta see both of those. Yeah, <laughs> you do. Jesus. That I was, was sure you were going to say Razorback. Yeah, no. We, oh, we, we did Razorback. We did do Razorback, though. Love we did Razorback. Long Weekend and Razorback, oh, okay. one of the first episodes we did on the show, oh, but that was fun, too. Yeah. Uh, we've done one. quite a lot Perfect. of Australian genre <laughs> yeah. cinema on here, Big actually. Big fan of Australian speaking of which, cinema. That led us into uh, last week's bonus episode for the Patreon listeners, where we did one I've wanted to hit for a long time. We did, obviously, the original Mad Max. I can't believe it took us, like, over two <laughs> yeah. years to hit it. But we did Mad Max, <laughs> and we paired it with one that... I watched for the first time a few years ago, and it just destroyed my brain. Uh, Death Race 2000. Oh, man. Loved it. So, it was uh, the amazing. One, so. I was going to say, if you want to see uh, road massacres, uh, if you want to see... alone doing it. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to see, like, an exploitation <laughs> version of Speed Racer or Wacky Races, that's what we talked about on uh, last week's bonus episode alongside George Miller's, obviously classic cult exploitation road film mad max um so again patreon.com slash these podcast if you want to hear that one from last week but this week we have a very special guest joining us someone i've been uh thinking about trying to get on the show for a while but he's kind of big in the uh <laughs> horror art scene and i wasn't sure that we could get him so what i did is i tricked him <laughs> and i we hired and him. we hired him to do our logo <laughs> art. him some money yeah, that's, that's how we do hired him to do the amazing logo <laughs> art that he did for the show which a lot of our uh fans were completely blown away by when we switched to it uh but we have freelance awesome. horror artist based out of uh, toronto a fellow canadian in here yes and that yep. artist is trevor henderson trevor how are you doing i'm good how are you guys good oh, good thanks good for coming always. on and doing Thank that you awesome logo <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i'm glad i'm glad to hear people people like it and that you guys like it obviously <laughs> yeah well yeah. we are we are big fans of uh trevor and trevor's art over here so i knew that we had to have him on eventually because uh he, you know when he's not doing art uh at his house he is all the time tweeting about all the different horror movies that he's watching. So I knew eventually we had to have him on to bring on uh, a double feature of his own. So Trevor, as it goes, obviously we ask the guest to bring <laughs> on the double feature with you. So what two films have you brought with you this week and why do they pair together? Uh, the two films that I brought this week were John Carpenter's The Fog, which is an amazing film that I think kind of gets overlooked a lot in um, Jim uh, John Carpenter's uh, you know filmography. Um, it's a really great uh, kind of coastal uh, folk horror ghost story, very classic. And I paired it with um, probably my most, what I feel is maybe one of the most overlooked horror films of all time, which is uh, Dead and Buried. And uh, the the kind of ties that I have connecting the two and why I decided to bring them on as a double feature are um, small uh, scenes enoch towns with horrible dark secrets <laughs> and um i f i feel like they both kind of border on um kind of like a folk horror aesthetic without fully committing to something like you know like wicker man and um they both feel like uh 80s paperback books that came to life like those really lurid covers mm -hmm. that you see in the bookstore um i i described it a little earlier as um 
like they both feel like uh, Stephen King novels that were never Stephen King novels, sort of. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, and, sure. and the the fog poster especially looks like it could literally just be one of those paperback yeah, covers. It's funny you say that. Actually, I <laughs> oh, was watching sure. these with my my brother, and he said that exact same thing. I think Might it's, it's like oh, really? the town. Yeah, the vibe. Stephen King. He he thought small that those town, were small town. America. Yeah, he thought they were Stephen King stories at first. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's well, there you and go. If you ever look at if you I don't know if you guys have seen the poster for Dead and Buried, but it's like it legitimately you could just take it and slap it on like a, a shitty dime novel in a drugstore in 1984. For sure, it's like this blue uh cold face pushed up through like this cracked earth in this painterly painterly style it's beautiful yeah awesome yep yeah all right well that's what we're going to be talking about today that was the fog 1980 by john carpenter and dead and buried 1981 by a uh sleazoid's favorite gary sherman yeah. we've talked about him yeah. uh once doing his vice squad movie and i've wanted to do his death line movie for a while too which is like sort of like a british hills have eyes that takes place on the subway oh hell yeah. <laughs> that movie is amazing the movie is amazing yeah that movie is a lot of fun um sherman but, goes some places man i i must say yeah so we are going to uh jump right into it here and i think we are going to talk about the fog do it. From the creator of Halloween, the ultimate experience in terror and suspense. John Carpenter's The Fog, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Houseman, Janet Leigh as Kathy Williams, and Hal Holbrook as Father Malone. The Fog. What you can't see won't hurt you. It will kill you. Between midnight and one, it will find you. All right, we are talking The Fog, the uh, 1980 American supernatural ghost story horror film directed by John Carpenter, um, co-written by his... I don't remember if they were still together when they wrote this story or not. I actually read on a review that uh, Deborah did this while he was dating the... uh I can't remember her name right now. The radio girl. Yeah, Adrian Barbo. Right, right. Adrian I, Barbo, I heard that yeah. they were dating at this time, and, and Deborah uh, still pulled through and <laughs> killed it. Because, I mean, this is a Good great job, film. Deborah. Well, because so. he and Deborah Hill, who was uh, a, a previous girlfriend of John Carpenter's and obviously a major producer for Carpenter, a major creative collaborator on a lot of his films, she, she is quite the writer-producer herself and also gave him a lot of amazing ideas that they ended up using in Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, so they co-wrote yeah. this story together. Um, based on, I think they said it was on a trip to Stonehenge that they took, okay. where they kind of got this weird kind of like coastal creepy vibe while they were there. And also they pulled from an old film called The Trollenberg Terror, which apparently is a British uh. film about some sort of radioactive uh, cloud and it's some that turns into like a science fiction uh, monster and okay. kind yeah, of they, like... it's giant eyeball monsters in that one. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. well I got to check yeah, that yeah. one out. But either way, a combination of those two events led John Carpenter and Deborah Hill to come up with this story, um, which uh, sort of loosely follows a small California coastal town. Um, called uh, Antonio Bay, I believe it's called. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. It, there you go. And, um, which is, I mean, obviously it's it's a little bit of a reference to Hitchcock's The Birds, which takes place in Bodega Bay. And it follows similarly a sort of like 
a small group of people who are in relation to each other mostly because of this small town. But yeah. the film very strategically like kind of like disconnects them all from each other. You have the radio host played by Adrian Barbo. You have Jamie Lee Curtis playing a hitchhiker passing through the town. You have Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, Janet Lee, who also starred uh, in Hitchcock films um, as someone who is organizing the 100th uh birthday of antonio bay she's the one that's very uh, mean to her assistant correct yes. But in yeah the, yeah in, that's right in the nicest possible way which is i think my favorite <laughs> joke of the film when she goes uh when she goes annoying but you're right <laughs> i just like <laughs> that delivery is fantastic uh we also have tom atkins uh in this film who uh would obviously we've talked about once on the show because we did uh, halloween three yeah, uh, which yeah. I I liked him a lot in He's Halloween Three, which came that, out shortly yeah. after. He's great in that movie. Didn't he do another film that we did? And he was also in Night of the Creeps. Right, Night of the Creeps. Uh, very His very awesome performance from him as yeah. uh, <laughs> sort of like a detective with scars in that town who finds himself in a splatter film. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um, but uh, Trevor. Maybe uh, yeah. you can walk us through, when did you first watch The Fog? And because I know that The Fog has a bit of a mixed reception, kind of like when it first came out. And even even today, I, it's been reclaimed a little, but it's still kind of viewed a little bit lower on Carpenter's... Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. T- to be fair to Carpenter, he has some bangers well, see, in his filmography. I'm kind of, right now, just to say it, because you're talking about it, I'm kind of in that ballpark you're right now. You're feeling a little mixed on it? See, I, I love it. See, I, I, here's the thing. It's like, I'm... Uh, I'm battling more so what I like about the Carpenter movies that I love. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, when I think of Carpenter, yeah. I just think of They Live, Halloween, uh, and I and I just I like his more high energy stuff. I guess mm. even though I think this he's is a little bit more bombastic usually. Yeah, exactly. And I, but the thing is yeah. too is that like you can't beat a John Carpenter score and the score that he comes. This up is with one is, of his best scores. That, yeah, oh, you call it like droning synth. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just like that's a great uh, description of it because it just. It just sets you in this this slow, creepy pace that he's going for. Very hypnotic. And, I mean, it's very uh, symbolic of like the fog rolling in itself. And oh, stuff very like that. slow so, and creepy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm so. kind of I'm just battling myself right now. I think this conversation uh, is kind of going to be it'll my it'll work. Tre- Trevor will make final his case. Stamp. <laughs> but but Trevor, so, did um, you did you love this film the first time that you watched it? No, 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 I didn't actually. It, it has its own very uh, particular charms. I think that um, you kind of have to. You kind of have to meet it on its level a little bit, yeah. um, and it's kind of odd if you're like, say, you're watching like, you know, uh, Halloween, the thing, and going through his whole um, filmography. It's it's really kind of like a, it feels like a lot less, it feels a little more slight than his other films, but I feel like it's definitely, like you said, kind of getting a little more um, appreciation along with um, Prince of Darkness, which is a crime that's been overlooked so much, but. Uh, I just I really like that one. I saw it when I was a teenager and didn't really appreciate it. And I've kind of come around on it a lot, um, especially as I kind of uh, read more uh, classic ghost story authors um, like M.R. James. Um, um, uh, there's one guy, William Hope Hodgson, who just does like pirate ghosts. That's like his whole thing: pirate ghosts and like, <laughs> sea, sea ghosts, all these nautical ghost stories. And um, you know, John Carpenter's gone on record saying this was his partially. This was his tribute to those kind of really classic, almost antiquated um, ghost story authors. Mm. So, you know, kind of taking that into account and, and coming to appreciate those authors on my own, I've kind of swung back to it, and um, I really appreciate it a lot more, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it opens with uh, an Edgar Allan Poe quote. Uh, all yeah, that we yeah. see or seem is but a dream within a dream. And then yeah. he has this very, he has, um, uh, who's who's the actor that he has there? Is John, is it John Houseman? Yeah, playing yeah. The, uh, the guy who's delivering the ghost story at the beginning, which by the way, apparently was a, was a reshoot. Apparently John Carpenter, oh, really? when, when he... Uh, That's crazy because it seems like it, an established thing that sets the tone. Yeah, no, I, yeah, and apparently uh, one third of this film is reshoots. Wow. Because he, because he went into his thing and he was like, I like it, but it's not there. And one of the things was he wanted that establishing mood. He's like, mm. he, he realized watching his own film that he was like, this actually is more about the mood than it is about the plot so he went back and put in more mood he put in a little bit more of some of the creepy imagery a little bit more of like the pirate hands and the makeup effects and stuff like that which by the way done by uh rob botten um who did Uh. uh, makeup alongside tom zavidi on a couple films he worked on maniac um he worked on dante's the howling uh, uh legend robocop total recall all kinds of great stuff. And also, Rob Botten actually plays the lead pirate, Blake. Oh, cool. And, uh, and, and John Carpenter apparently wow. selected him for it because he he showed up and he was like, how tall are you? And Rob Botten was like, 6'5". He's like, perfect. <laughs> You're the ghost pirate, buddy. <laughs> I need a really kind tall, of says, imposing um, figure. Yeah. It kind of says everything that, like, the restraint in that you get Rob Botten to do your, go- your leprous ghost makeup and they never give you a clear shot of it in this whole film. <laughs> No. It's always yeah. in the dark. There's the, it, like that's restraint. It's like this is this specific ghost story mood I'm gonna do, and to do like a big effect shot would I I don't know if it would I don't know what effect it would have, but like he's obviously going for a very specific thing, and just to to hide all these like ghosts in the shadows is is very indicative of that. Yeah, they I think the most they have is like a a one second kind of lit. A mm-hmm. shot yep. of the, the like the worms coming out of their faces, kind of thing, like just of one, yeah. and that's the most that he gives. The rest of it's just a pure silhouette, except for Blake, who's got these these red eyes that he stole. Um, yeah, but yeah, it does it does create an even creepier mood because you never get any real answers, um, and uh, and just not seeing them just obvi- always, you know. It, it creates more mystery, which creates more creepiness. Well, to, to me, this yeah. this this plays a lot like Carpenter doing a little bit of a riff on Jaws. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, just I can because, see it. like in what way? Well, just because of uh, some of the coastal small town elements. I mean, specifically the the hospital scene where you have the two people like talking to each other in the towns, like trying to figure out, you know, is this an emergency? Should we start a panic? Is there sure, something? Yeah. And they so a little bit of that, but also in the sort of implied violence of it because. Famously, right. Jaws doesn't show you the shark until the final reel of the film, and it's a pretty long film, actually. Yeah. Um, so th- he has to create a lot of the danger of this film through feeling and mood and sort of like implication and atmosphere rather than, you know, like showing you things, which goes to say about what you guys were talking about, how he doesn't really show you much of the, of the monsters. It's really like this slow, sleepy, kind of um, moody hypnotic vibe that it has going for it with this sort of like obviously the the anamorphic panavision photography with lots of negative space and lots of use of shadow and 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 color that carpenter uh used a lot but also taking a lot of the stuff that he learned making halloween yeah 
which is like, for example, my favorite, still one of my favorite things when we talked about Halloween was, is the final images of Halloween. Just those still shots of all of those empty spaces with Michael's breathing and the way that that is so much creepier than anything he could have shown you because it creates a sort of like cosmic feeling for Michael Myers where he is anywhere, your your eyes are scanning the frames fucking looking for his face somewhere. And he does a similar montage here where he has sort of like the fog kind of moving into town and he has all these small town settings where things just kind of like everything starts kind of like going haywire. It's just these empty spaces and the subtle score and you're just sitting there waiting being like, what the fuck is happening? It's all build up. So John Carpenter, I think a lot of people were disappointed by the film because it doesn't quite have a... Uh, slasher villain and it doesn't quite have like a sort of like action catharsis like when uh, Laurie and Michael end up duking it out with Dr. Loomis in the house it doesn't quite have that even though there is sort of in the church but it's not action based so I think because they're not like they're not shooting pirates ghosts in the face exactly they just kind of they just kind of break in more or less exactly so I, I don't think that it has that quite like visceral quality that people are waiting for the catharsis for the buildup but i think there's something interesting to that where the whole film is honestly build up and build up and build up and build up and it's punctuated very occasionally by just like this very very sudden violence and 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 it's it's telegraphed in his horror images which are these images of a fog slowly rolling in and then you have uh, a light start to glow inside of it and then every once in a while it lights up a briefly for a second or two a figure in it and then there's this really sharp cutting where all of a sudden a hook goes through a guy's chest cut to the next scene yeah and i think that that contrast between like what the what the the monsters or the ghosts or whatever are, are are like as if you know they're very slow it doesn't almost it seems like if they don't get to you they don't really care but if they get to you they're yeah. going to rip you to shreds <laughs> and and there's something about like the the slowness and the uncaring of the actual killing to when it shows them when John Carpenter shows them killing somebody oh and it's, and it's just, just over so viscerally <laughs> violent and it's quick but it's yeah. it's also done with rusty hooks and you see like a, a pirate sword get go through a guy's chest and things like that yeah but it's so quick compared to the to the build so that that also adds to a lot of tension and then um his score what he does uh, specifically with the main theme is he has the same like melody running but he goes back and forth between clean piano and then synth. And mm-hmm. to me, it kind of represents like the piano represents the, the normal town, like when it's kind of right. just, it's everyday life um. and all that. And then the synth, he, he kind of ramps up the reverb a little bit. And it gives me this symbolism of, of the, the, the ghostly vibe. In, the ghost. Yeah, because. <laughs> the presence. Right, exactly. And he kind of established that sound a little bit too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he wasn't the first to do synth, but his synth sound is very, very Oh, distinct. it's instantly recognizable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So. I also love that this, uh, how blatantly this film is about the act of telling stories. Yeah. And just like a love letter to like the act of telling ghost stories. Like not only does it open with that amazing um, kind of scene of exposition told through like a really beautifully done ghost story. There's also, he, he stops the action. Um, uh, I think a quarter to midway into the film when they're in the go in the pirate ship or not the pirate ship, the, um, the ship that's been, uh, ravaged by the pirates. Right. Where and, the, where uh, the one guy is just tells, like, Hey, there's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no fog out there. And then like two <laughs> yeah, seconds later, yeah. he's like, wait, hold on a second. There's well, fog there's out fog there. there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and Tom Atkins tells uh, Jamie Lee Curtis like another really creepy little ghost story, mm-hmm. and then he follows that right up with a fake out jump scare, followed by a real jump scare, like yeah. instantly. It's like, like right, such and a very well scene. directed scene. Yeah. And and I was gonna say yeah. also while he uh, before he's telling that story, I believe it is the it's cross cutting between them checking the ship out. And the priest reading from the journal, which itself right. is telling oh, a right. story of yeah. his father. Well, that right. was one of my favorite cross-cutting moments where they're investigating this ship. This, you know, it's it, for the '80s. It's a modern ship, and it's these people going through, you know, this this modern town. And then the uh, the priest is reading his. I think it's his grandfather's diary from the inception of the town. And uh, I don't know that I've seen the priest in anything else. But the way that he yeah. read that story, I was like, man, I want him to read more stories. <laughs> yeah. um, because he... That was, is... Um, it's oh, sorry, Hal, the, the, Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook, yeah. He's in uh, Creepshow. He feeds Adrian oh, okay. Barbeau to the monster in the crate. And oh. he is in an amazing underseen horror movie from Canada called Rituals. Um, cool. That's kind of like a riff on Deliverance through like a slasher movie lens. Whoa. It's really good. No, I'll I gotta write check that, that one down out for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, that's awesome. No, but um, yeah. his his father Malone character, I think, is kind of like for me a bit of the soul of the of of the film because he has the most. I mean, he has obviously the biggest revelations in the film, which right, are like the strongest connection to the ghosts themselves as well, right? Right, which which yeah. uh, kind of helps solidify the, the the framework of the whole story, which is this idea of. Uh, sort of like a foundational sin that a town has sort of built its structures on on top of. And you don't realize until halfway through the film or maybe maybe even three quarters of the way through the film, like what the town really did, like why these pirates are coming to get them. Right. It's just kind of like a bit of, it has a bit of like a silly, like the story itself is like a little silly. It's, it's leprous ghost pirates <laughs> coming to kill small townsfolk. Yeah. But again, the way that Carpenter creates a mood around it, you almost feel like this collective, guilt and and sort of like mourning that the town has um before you know what it's for yeah which really helps you for me helps ground the film's mood because you know there are films that can be pure mood and not have them in service of things and this to me i feel the reverberating guilt of it and the cycles of pain um yeah, it has almost like a void-like quality to this yeah. like coastal existence. Mm-hmm. Like it's cut off from the rest of the world. And I think it's important too that he separates all those characters. Like you have the uh, radio show host in her booth. Uh, you have the hitchhiker and Tom Atkins play uh, characters together. Uh, you have the small boy uh, who is um, uh, Adrian Barbeau's son. Um, and then you have all of these different townsfolk. You have Janet Lee's character. You have Father Malone. And all of these people have really they don't talk to each other very much and they're not connected by anything other than this sin that they committed which was and it's uh, cool as the movie goes too. it kind of that sin itself brings them together yes and then exactly right into the of course right structurally that's why it's so important yeah Yeah, because like i i think that you're spot on because (laughs) it does have them all separated and then it's connected through this violence that's coming to get them and you're right they do end up at a a a church all together at the end trying to run away even though that is exactly where they're going which they regretfully find out later i always um (laughs) I always thought it was kind of weird that they keep Adrian Barbeau's character um, from joining the rest of the group. She she never leaves the um, uh, lighthouse or the, her radio tower, I guess. right? Because she ends up on top of it, hiding from yeah. the ghost. Yeah, I almost read that as like 
she was the, you know, just, I mean, it's, the, I guess, the simple reading, but it's, like, she was kind of the overlooker, the overseer. She was one of the only yeah. characters that was really trying to warn everybody else. Like, Oh, and she after, gets that great monologue at the end of the film, too. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Watch out for the fog, like that. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> that's, it's totally, um, that's totally John Carpenter doing uh, a tribute to the last scene in the original thing from Another World, where they're like, watch the skies. Oh, cool. Right. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, she definitely feels like a Greek chorus almost for the rest of the uh, characters and the rest of the film. Like, she's um, got a and, and what a voice too, though. I would listen to that oh, radio yeah. show. She's she talks very very smoothly Absolutely. in between these smooth jazz songs that she's putting on. Which, by the way, I found out because this film was incredibly cheap. Apparently, it cost one million dollars, which uh, even for wow. Carpenter was actually pretty cheap. And. Uh, he said that the reason they used jazz music was because they couldn't afford rock music. <laughs> he wanted rock music. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> he's like, I don't really know that there's any small town out there that listens to jazz music. I like it's mostly it, it, there's like rock radio stations yeah. in every small town. Well, it's great because I mean it just adds that mood to her because she's got that that you know that uh, really soft and smoky. warm voice. Yeah, smoky. <laughs> that's the word exactly. Well, and and also for me, it creates another weird thing about this town, which does feel for me like really cut off from the world like when you get those big vistas where you just get these shots of the ocean like lit up by the moonlight and he goes back to that shot like two or three different times and every time you're like there's really nothing out there they are not connected to literally anything yeah um, yeah it does feel like it does kind of feel like the island off of serenity you know yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so all of these people and this 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 place and this these things that they've built are entirely connected by like this lie by this this violence that serves as sort of like a corrupted myth for their township, which is that uh, these pirates are coming to get them because a hundred years ago, <laughs> they uh, were asked by these sort of uh, pirates who who were lepers uh, to be able to stay ashore near their township. And I believe it was just so that they could interact with them and get goods and services and like stay alive. And they were like, we have gold. We just want to stay nearby. We're not going to come into your town. We're not going to, we know that we're not going to try to infect anybody. Like we're yeah. just trying to survive. And instead the town decided that they were going to just kill the pirates, eradicating the problem of possible infection and then stealing all of their money and using that money as a base to actually create their township. Um, so, and I mean, you get Father Malone who has that great line where he's like, tonight's celebration is a farce. We are celebrating yeah. murderers and like these really, really moody lines that come up with John Carpenter's score. He's the representation of like, it feels like the guilt of the town. More so well, because his grandfather else. is directly related, and right. his, and his right. grandfather seemed yeah. like the most morally conflicted about what they did, and that's why he wrote it in that diary. And yeah. it is creepy yeah. to have this guy from another time speaking through his son's voice, this mm. moral anguish that he has over this violence, and then you realize that moral anguish then infects the way you're watching it, because you're like, this is obviously horror, people we like are dying, but there is like like a like an understandable comeuppance happening here and there yep. is so it, it it creates a really thorny interaction with your uh with, with the killers of of the film um yeah. so uh which is just interesting because obviously in a lot of slasher films and a lot of things that would get popularized because of halloween it's like the slasher guy is like evil personified for sure it's like there's yeah. not a lot of reason for what's happening right and this Be is that ghostly revenge kind of thing for, right. for something that was just horribly done to them. Uh, there's something interesting, too, yeah. with the father, because right before, at the end, when he gets, when 
gets cut up by Blake or whatever. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, why not me? <laughs> like, before he dies. Yeah. And so it almost feels like there's this like really strong guilt that he holds personally. He almost wants to which, go. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, I found that, I mean, I don't, I think it, it is true to his character because he's constantly worried throughout the thing. He feel, he, I think he feels the most guilt. Well, he was, it's also through it, the connection. It's also confusion, right? Because yeah, like yeah. they didn't end up actually killing the people he thought they were going to kill. True, right. It's like, wh- yeah. why did, why did those people die and not me? What is the answer here? Right. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because as soon as you have that context, all of a sudden, all of the horror sequences just take on like a different quality. Like you're watching these slow moving images. Again, there's these slow figures moving through the fog or the fog starts coming underneath the door and then the glowing light that he puts on it again with his score ramping up. Like I just find that I sit through this film and even though, you know, uh, it, he even admits that he doesn't think that, like, the plot is, like, next level or anything. No, I just sure. I just find myself, like, really feeling this film um, even more than some other Carpen- Carpenter films. I find that this is just, like, one of the most, like, intoxicating, like, mood piece style yeah. films that he's ever yeah, made. Mood piece. It really does feel like that ghost story. Because, like, when you think about a ghost story, like something that you would tell around a campfire. They don't have the most detailed characters with oh, no, huge I, I, development arcs and stuff, right? Yeah, so it makes well, sense I, that I, this would be so concentrated just on the, the mood, the creep factor, the ghosts themselves, uh, j- really just the ghost story. Right, uh, and, and, and when you talk about like a campfire ghost story vibe, like most people will know what you're talking about, even right. if you don't tell them what the story is. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that's the kind of mm-hmm. vibe I think that he was really going for in here, just with his, again, his own even, sort of synth drone yeah. uh, kind of musicality to some even of the on images. The way of like when you're telling a campfire story, like the way that he plots out violence and stuff, even in a campfire story, it's very slow. Like you couldn't, it, it would be very difficult to tell the thing around a fire, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, yeah, he definitely, he, he pulls off that vibe wholeheartedly for sure. He was definitely like directing to that mold. He definitely like knew yeah. exactly what he wanted to make and the beats that he had to hit to get that feeling across. And um, he de- I think he definitely accomplished that. Yeah. And uh, the, one of the best things about John Carpenter is always that like he has a specific idea about whatever movie he's going to do and he just does it and it's he doesn't really give a fuck if you don't like <laughs> it. It's kind of exactly what he wanted to do and he did it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, even some of the individual, like, horror sequences in here, like uh, like the one in the hospital, uh, for example. All, the, the, all the, the early sequences in this movie are my absolute favorite parts. All the weird just ghost shit happening in the first, like, hour are the best part of this whole movie. Yeah, like where nobody kind of knows what's happening. It's just the things that they look at, the things that are normal, these small town locations, all of a sudden they just feel off. There's something wrong about them. You're not sure what it is. It's kind of like the town has that like poisoned sickness quality to it, like before anything is even happening. He opens on people just doing their normal day-to-day jobs. Like a guy's in a a variety store, he's just sweeping up and and you can tell that it's a closing because like all the lights are off, but the only thing that's lighting him is the like the freezer light yes and then like things start to move on their own and it's just it's it's weird because it's it's things you've seen before in the sense of like the way he applies ghost oh yeah it's it's, it's like phones ringing and you're like but but it's the way he paces it it's unbelievable and then of course john carpenter's score so you know it adds to that atmosphere 
Uh, but yeah, like that montage of score like is the, amazing. The oh, sirens yeah. and the TV uh, static and like the radios and the horns and at one point like a uh, the gasoline handle comes off and starts leaking and a car starts launching up, chairs start sliding across the room. Right. Um, the way that he just kind of builds to like a crescendo of objects moving and it's fucking terrifying, uh, and not, and not like, uh, you know, sometimes you see it in horror movies now and you're kind of like, oh, the chair moved. Yeah. (laughs) But like the vibe here, it like is like genuinely creepy and, and off kilter and does create this weird kind of like ice feeling of like isolation and Mm. alienation for these characters. And nobody talks to each other about it. It's it's so matter of fact. It just, it's just like the score. I think in those opening scenes is barely minimal or not even there. And yeah. it's just like it just happens. It's just all these different things happening around town, um, like kind of unremarked upon. Um, yeah. It makes it makes it really, it just really makes it creepy. Yeah, that was something I noticed too. Is that when he's showing all of these just normal everyday things, but there's there's a slight creepy factor to it, whether it be a chair moving or whatever. Uh, he didn't have a score under this, and yeah. you know, from Carpenter, I'm just I'm always used to something, a little maybe a synth pad, something like that. <laughs> and uh, he had nothing. He's just like, no, we want complete silence. We want the ambience of that silence and the ambience of something just crashing to the floor when you're least expecting it. And it's it's incredibly effective. Well, and and he also does that thing that we talked a lot about in Halloween, where he takes really good advantage of the widescreen frame and the negative space in all of his frames. Yeah, where he 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 shoots in a way that trains you to investigate his images for things to look for, for them. Sure. The way that you're searching for Michael in that film. Here, there's images like on the boat when the massacre of the boat guys happens, and there's this really really dark shot that takes place inside the boat while the guy's trying to call for help. And you just get this completely black frame in the background. And every once in a while, this like kind of like almost like strobe light just hits. And there's right. a figure. And you can just make out the edges of his shoulders as he's moving closer and closer and closer. Yep. And again, he holds these shots for like an unbearable amount of time. <laughs> yeah. And for some people, I think that that read as kind of like, I, I know that Roger Ebert wasn't a particular fan of this film. And he said something along the lines of that. He wanted it to move. He was like, why isn't it moving? Like Halloween had like a, like kind of like a trajectory that he could yeah. follow. And this has like a pay, like a, a stranger pace to it but for it for, is it's like for me, waiting for the death to come well exactly yeah. and and for me that's what he, that's exactly the point yeah. of those images and that's what's scary about them is you like it's an inevitability there's a fatalism to just like the way he's crafted the images that you're sitting there just waiting for the worst thing to happen and then again the sudden punctuation of hook through someone sword through someone yeah or in that scene where they almost get jamie lee curtis because what's even creep that's yeah. one of the creepier ones is when it's in broad daylight and you can just see the corpse moving in the background, just getting up, grabbing the scalpel or oh, whatever it's I love grabbing. That part. Yeah. And it's and then its feet drop on the floor and it's walking closer and then she turns around and it just falls. And it's like I wasn't doing anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so and, and and again, those scares are just they're they're very unique um and in in their pacing and 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 their imagery to carpenter and it's i think it's what makes carpenter so special even if you know you don't particularly you know latch on to a specific character and you really love the you know the emotional catharsis of the film like i don't know that that's as much here as it is in some other carpenter films like something like prince of darkness i find very emotionally affecting so but 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 for me Mm -hmm. 
it there, I don't know that I emotionally connect to a lot of the ghost stories I know either. It's it's it right. really is all about that, that tone yeah. um, to it. And I if we're going based on that, I think this is like exceptionally made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. I think you just yeah. have to have that 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 uh, that thought of it's a campfire ghost going story. In, yeah. um, if you do have that, like. If you're going in thinking you're going to get the thing, Halloween, that kind of thing, it's, it's not going to happen. It will no. kind of disappoint you. But I will say, I don't know if we're wrapping it up at, for, for the fog, but I, this conversation's convinced me that I like it quite, quite a bit. So That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how we do it. Peer pressure, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, not <laughs> yeah. to say that I you know, disliked it. I really liked it. It's, it's always been very close to, to the four. Yeah, but, just, I, but I think Trevor was right when he just said that like you, you kind of do have to meet this movie a yes. bit on its own wavelength with right. what it's doing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because yeah. The, the third act, which does, you know, it, it does have a little bit of stuff going on. I mean, I think, what a fantastic image, that image of the cross heating up. Oh my and, God, and, yeah. And, and Blake holding it with his hands and like steaming as like this pure black silhouette with oh, eyes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Like it's, uh, what a creepy fucking image just in, 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 in its own way. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is a bit of like, oh, they went away <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. some reason. Yeah, and then, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, they do have that nice little like, uh, you know, the priest gets the whack or whatever and then they the cut to the credits the in there. Yeah. I think it's it, but it did seem more like a uh, you know have have that have that ghost ending you know that, where there's a bit of a, a scare at the end I, I don't know if it directly connected to the rest of what we watched you know yeah well and, and I wasn't sure if it was implying that they were going to come back and also get everyone get else everyone again else. now yeah too. it seemed like that was specifically for the priest which was odd uh, so I don't know hard to say but I but I think it was definitely just like like you de- like solving this issue wasn't that easy it was like you know you could give back the gold but at this point it's not just about the gold there's something sicker and deeper and more because i mean for a hundred years you've been built you've been building this town on that you know like just giving back this gold statue well that was it was like everything you have came from this yeah and also uh, kind of just the image of like a a pure gold cross is just kind of funny it feels like a little counterintuitive definitely uh Um, but but that Vatican. image too. I love that final scene because it's like the, I love the final scene, uh, the little the little stinger at the very end because it's the equivalent of like telling a ghost story on a campfire and then like turning to the person next to you and going, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Now that's awesome. I didn't um, even think of that. But I also love that that image, that wide shot of the church with them all standing amongst the pews as the fog slowly oh. moves in and the the light starts to get like so all good. these like overblown white start like kind of like piercing through the darkness again you never yeah. really get a good clear look at them but they are the figures are there and there is something physical to them that you can't quite ignore in the image for sure um, and then obviously it's implied all the time that they could fucking grab you with a hook at any second <laughs> you never know when that hook's coming yeah. you're sitting there waiting for that <laughs> hook to come but yeah, I got they'll even take the the grandma babysitters. Man. They don't care who it is. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I do say I think I I would understand if someone found like the church sequence and the way that you know they kind of give the gold back and then they disappear and then it kind of has that effect for Andrea who's at this point sitting on top of the radio tower hiding from the ghost lepers. Yeah. Really well done cross cutting between those two scenes. It's yeah. really creepy. Yeah, um, as they get closer and closer to her. But yeah. it does have that mm-hmm. kind of like phantom menace thing where it's like <laughs> they 
take out the mothership and then like and then all they all, all fall done. and they yeah, all go away sure, so like there sure. is definitely something to that where it does i think feel... i could forgive it, it a lot easier on this one because of like i would i would think that a ghost ship would be kind of connected you know what i mean <laughs> right they're all they're all that together sense, they're all yeah. buddies <laughs> they were in pirates of the caribbean right with the, yeah, this with had, the gold. by the way that had to be inspired by this oh, film yeah like without a doubt no, like all the, the oh, creepy yeah. images of the skull pirates, like oh, moving yeah. in the moonlight at night like, in the fog, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. no way that it uh, wasn't uh, inspired partially by Carpenter's uh, Has vision to be. here. Has to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when they finish that off, and they 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 go back into that mood and that monologue that that Andrea has, where she said something came out of the fog and tried to destroy us. Look across the water. Look out into the darkness. Look for the fog it could come again. And mm-hmm. just that idea of looking into the, looking across the water into the darkness, something's out there. Yeah. You realize that like that is what's scary about this story. Absolutely. It didn't it doesn't need a Michael Myers. There's something bigger. And even then, when he made Michael Myers, the intent, the whole idea was that he was bigger than just a human person. That's right. what's scary about him. Truly and, and the boogeyman. Yeah. yeah, and so that's what he does mm-hmm. here with the fog too, is he creates something scarier and darker, and then it comes back and decapitates Father Malone and the fog <laughs> does come back. So you're like, Oh fuck. Um so yeah, and entering the reductive rating round, uh, which for you, Trevor, is where we remove all the words, all the nuance, and reduce the movie to a number between one and five. But also, it's kind of become oh, okay. closing statements and uh, or or any I mean, scenes or lines or anything that we didn't get to that you wanted to bring up. We yeah. do it here as well. But for me, this gets like a like a pretty decent uh, decent to high four for me, honestly, because I. I uh, this is my second time watching it. We actually watched it for the first time together on my Blu-ray. Yeah, here. a few months ago. I think. Um, and uh, I just for some, you know, and not just for some reason, because of craft. John yeah. Carpenter's doing something intentionally it's, here. It's the craft. But for I sure. do find myself like more so than even some other Carpenter films, like really feeling this film. Like I sit there and I watch it and I get swept up viscerally into it, even though I realize that that's mostly out of just you know, him holding onto a shot the way that he chose his shot, the way that he sort of like formally contributes uh, this like synth drone uh, music into these like really um, creepy, slow, sleepy images. And when I put that, it was like got like real slow, sleepy campfire vibes from it. Someone, some smart ass commented to me and was like, yeah, it puts me to sleep too, man. <laughs> or something. And I was like, <laughs> Not a bad joke. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. I, it, it, it got a good laugh out of me. Um, but I do think that the way that he structures that, that feeling and he structures that quality into the actual story itself and this town, it really does feel like you are getting the collective guilt of an entire town and you can feel it reverberating through the town that there's this waiting, almost like they're waiting for the punishment that they kind of like know that they deserve. There's something that they, there's a, they know that they're guilty, which is what I think also is Father Malone in that last scene being like, yeah, why didn't you why take me? me? Like, I know that there's yeah. there's more to this here. And the way that he structures it as like this very lonely movie of all these characters alienated from one of each other in a small physical distance from each other. I mean, Andrea doesn't I don't know that Andrea talks to anyone outside of her tower other than her son. 
and yeah. oh, and, and uh, Dan, because they have that. Uh... Well, yeah, but uh, uh, only over the phone. She refuses oh, to go on a physical saying. date with him. She, uh, I yeah. think, she even says, uh, "My perfect date is like uh, yeah, talking per- to someone I think on the phone." My perfect man is uh, a, f- a voice over the phone. Or yes, something. I was like, by the way, smoothest way to say no to a date I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> goddamn, that's putting him down in yeah. a cool way. <laughs> yeah. So the way that he he structures that loneliness into these characters' lives and then has them realize why they feel alienated and lonely and it's because their entire existence is founded on just like these actual violence and this this yeah. this corruption um for their township so I, again there's there's like a dark foreboding undercurrent to this town and you you kind of feel the fact that it's 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 sick and it's dread inducing even like before you know why and then he slowly paints a portrait of why and What's weird, I guess, is that nothing, like, I think that's why people are, because it's really, it's structured to get to the reveal. Yeah. And then they get punished and that's it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people wanted something more, that maybe they wanted redemption. And it is interesting that Carpenter doesn't give that to them. It just goes, no, you did, your ancestor did something terrible and you're suffering yeah. for it, and that's life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but 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 to me, that is like a a very creepy, scary thing. And again, the way that he structures that into, you know, this this ghost story, and uh, as as Trevor was putting it, you know, kind of bringing back this this sort of creepy uh, storytelling parable uh, kind of horror quality to it. So yeah, for yeah. me, solid to high four. Yeah, for me. Um, it is on a bit right now, because this is going from the three. I did have it at a three uh, the first time I watched it, but uh, this time it is going to get the four. It's still, Upgrade. I would say, a little lower, just because I, I, I just don't feel this one as much in the sense of like the, uh, uh, you know, the characters and all that, but like we've said, it doesn't really seem like the point. I think that he's just trying to really represent what the, like a ghost story around a campfire, like we've said, uh, feels like. Mm-hmm. And I mean, so so for me, I think what I love about this film is the craft itself, like just the way that he paces these things, the way that he slowly unveils to you the story of the ghosts, the way that he opens it up with this awesome uh, split diopter shot of the of the, oh, yeah, the, watch. Of the pocket watch and the yeah. kids like that shit was unreal. That was <laughs> such a, a great way to open it up and set the tone. Um and yeah, I just I uh, this one for me is the is the craft. It's the it's the score that he brings with it that I think really symbolizes uh, mm-hmm. both the town and the creepy factor. Honestly, this is one of the scores that he does that I listen to like yeah, just on its own re- sure. pretty regularly. For sure, because it's got it's got a different mood than some of his other ones. Like the other oh, yeah. ones, they feel like. Uh, they just feel a little bit more in your face. Uh, the the melody it seems to be like. Remember me. Remember well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. This one has like a bit of like a flittery it's sound a to it. It's a little bit more restrained. Yeah, it's an atmosphere. And then he brings in that darker bass undercurrent where yeah. it's like Brrr. for sure, for <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, for for me, it's a it's a it's a lower four, but it's getting there. And uh, gotta respect <laughs> the craft of Carpenter. So yeah, uh, yeah. For you, Trevor. Um, I'm I'm feeling pretty much the same. Um, I'm, depending on the day, this viewing brought it up to like a good mid level four. Honestly, like it's nice. still gonna pale a little bit with um if you compare it to some of the other John Carpenter films, just because he's that good. But <laughs> that is. it has it has its own uh, uh, particular flavors that, that are uh, really nice. You guys covered it really nicely in terms of, like, it's obviously focusing on the imagery and the craft and 
this very um, almost meditative pace. Yes. Uh, yeah. But they, they all work so well together. Um, I feel like if he was trying for character stuff, that would be um, a problem with this because there isn't a huge, you know, amazing plot, amazing, amazing characters, but that's not what he's going for here. I think, I think it's pretty obvious, right. um, but okay. just the imagery um, that he accomplishes in the story, all the weird, like ghostly events in the early part of the film are just so cool and uh, contribute so nicely to the atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This, especially the score, the score stands out of this one so much. Um, if you notice too, like the score for this has the ticking of the watch from the opening scene through the whole movie, oh, so it's almost like awesome. it's almost like a continuation of the story that he was telling in the opening scene of the film. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, it's just it's really it's just really good. Um, it's not the thing or Halloween or Prince <laughs> of Darkness, and I think that's gonna um, hurt a lot of people, especially if they go in expecting anything like those movies. But it's just its own thing, and it does it really well, and it doesn't ask anything else but that. And it's, so I'd say like a solid four, like 3.94 kind of level. Sweet. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it definitely for Carpenter, it's, it's one of his more like restrained, like patient oh, yeah. films, oh, yeah. which I, I, I guess is kind of like what might throw people off. And, you, and I think you're right too, to point out that the idea that if it would really like try to sink into characters, it might've bitten off a little too, too much because the story almost feels like the mood of yep. the town. And the mm-hmm. kind of like the yeah. condensed time, like it's uh, this movie's what like eighty nine minutes or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Like it, it's all of it seems to be on purpose and necessary for yeah. the craft that he's going for. Yeah, and that totally that, the the formal like precision and like the grace of of, yeah. of what he's doing and how it achieves that like existentialism of the town. Mm-hmm. It's very very. Um, it's a good way to, to point it out. It to put it. It's very precise. It's a precise film. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. And if people weren't crazy about it at the time, but its reputation, I think, has been uh, growing since it since it came out. And we're even, here even, even if it, it hasn't grown quite as much as like something like The Thing, which was like not very well received which when I, it came I out and is now considered his still masterpiece. Still upset about it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. You it's never wild. know. We'll, we'll get there. People are starting to reclaim like In the Mouth of Madness and, and, yeah. and other ones that uh they should be i mean we're going to be uh, spoiler alert we are going to be talking about prince of darkness on the show in the yes. next couple months and yeah. it is on uh usually if i rewatch it uh it is my favorite carpenter film uh nice. if it's like uh you know sometimes i'll rewatch the thing and i'll be like maybe that's my favorite but most of the time if i'm sitting there and i'm distanced from all of his films for a little while i'm like it's prince of darkness oh, it's, it's the one i find genuinely well, it gets the, me excited because i uh, that's one I, I still have a blind spot for so no you oh don't. I, it's such a good movie it's so good oh, that's we the watched one. it brother yes. no i remember i'm sorry i do i do remember because it's got an amazing ending incredible oh, yeah the, the, oh shot, the, the shot of the hand yeah. now i remember and, That's oh my bad. it's the closest carpenter got to doing almost like italian horror with some of the stuff yeah. that he's doing there yeah totally. i think it's because we didn't do it on the show that i just like let it out of now, my every brain. once in a while we watch we watch one that we're like we're not even going to think about it for the show yeah because <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we didn't have an hour conversation on it <laughs> exactly yeah, uh, yeah that great said, I, I guess that will wrap it up for the fog here we're going to be right back and we're going to be talking dead and buried but you can't you can only make me dead. Go on. Pull the trigger. Perhaps you need a little more motivation. Dan, I'm dead. Please bury me. Dead and Buried. The movie you'll want to see. If you 
dare to look. Bury me. Dead and buried. All right, we are talking Dead and Buried, the 1981 American horror film directed by uh, Gary uh, Sherman, who we have previously talked about in the show in his kind of like scuzzy 80s uh, (laughs) neon uh, detectives versus prostitutes (laughs) slash a little bit of like a serial killer. I think it's like a... You can call him that for sure. Yeah, I don't... What a this guy! Gonna see this one. No, that, we'll oh, yeah, Vice Squad, Squad is just it was something. ape shit. <laughs> what did we we paired that with uh, cruising when we did that pretty early oh, on in the perfect. show? Right. Yep. So that's kind of like the the vein that it's in. But uh, Dead and Buried stars uh, honestly a bunch of actors I haven't seen in a whole lot of things yeah, except uh, I, I kept getting a little bit distracted because James uh, Ferrento who plays the main character Dan Gillis uh, he reminded me of Peter Falk a little bit like Columbo oh okay uh, oh, I, I also, can see it I'm pretty sure the uh, isn't the the doctor or the um, the coroner Mortimer he's, Jack he, Albertson yeah he's yeah. from fucking Willy Wonka right yeah he's the grandpa <laughs> I, could, I was just like <laughs> and I mean I, I won't spoil it yet but as this film goes I'm just like what oh a my role. god, Grandpa Jack, what are yeah, you doing? Yeah, and, and I believe, uh, if not his very last role, one of his last roles oh, wow. for sure before wow. he passed. Well, he went out with a bang, I'll tell you that. We'll say that, yeah. Um, but largely the film follows uh, Sheriff Dan Gillis, who uh, is the sheriff in a small town called uh, Potter's Bluff. Um, which, similar to The Fog, has to be a reference to fucking Pottersville. Yeah. Um, which, we just watched it on film. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Right, right, So, right. very small town, rural America. Um, but Potter's <laughs> and, and Bluff sign... And they really sign, do come together. They you know? do, for sure. <laughs> and the Potter's Bluff sign says, a new way of life. Yeah. Which is not untrue. I'll give them credit for it. Um, but, what happens over the course of this film sort of loosely is that a sort of like series of these like really grisly murders um that are dressed up to not really look like murders like they'll put people in car accidents they'll and and try to disguise it but they are committed by sort of mobs of random town people against kind of like tourists visiting the town yeah and what i found interesting is like I would think it would be one of those things. It's like maybe people that come in and try to change something or are corrupted or whatever. But these people <laughs> will fucking take out people Anybody. driving through. They're, like, <laughs> they're, like, they're just like, hey, I need directions to the next town. And they're like, oh, we got to kill these people. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I just done. found that very fascinating that it wasn't really connected to like a, uh, you know, I mean, we, we unveil later, but. Uh, initially, yeah. I was like, "Why are they doing all this crazy?" Yeah, there shit? There, there are twists uh, to the film that appear. I mean, multiple ones that appear in the last like yeah. five to ten minutes of the film. But what's so interesting I found about this film right away is that obviously it's got uh, like a, a a mood atmosphere aspect to it as well, opening on like these old timey like still photographs of the town, right. which actually reminded me a lot of because I I come from a very small town in Ontario, and uh, I recently found a bunch of really old postcards 
Oh yeah. Um, and mm. I, I, I bought them and framed them for my parents for, for Christmas of like, just, you know, like the lake and these, yeah. uh, and like the, the local docks and, you know, like the, the downtown, which looks the exact same, except in these postcards that had like horse and buggies on it. And yeah. Like, ours is like that too. Yeah. 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 So that, that's what it reminded what that, the image is straight up. What it looked like was just like a still frame of like an old postcard from the for small sure. town which is important because it, it, it kind of represents like this idea of like a picture perfect ideal, like literally of like a small town. And it opens with that and then has this awesome, this the sequence where like this photographer is taking pictures of, of this beach and how this beach has personality because there's this local stuff that's kind of like washed up onto it. He's taking photos. He even meets this girl who's in like this beautiful red shirt who's like, very flirtatious very very him. flirtatious and she's letting him uh take take photos um it's kind of a different genre for a minute or two there <laughs> yeah. yes very very briefly that shirt goes whoops and it goes right <laughs> off um <laughs> and but suddenly during that like picture perfect photography afternoon yeah beautiful woman there an entire crowd of locals appears on the beach what Very, is flip too? You think oh, you're yeah, getting laid, and then all of a sudden you're gang beaten. <laughs> they beat the shit out of him. Jesus. They they uh, strap him up to a post with a fishing net, douse him in gasoline, and light him on fire as he fucking screams. And that's like the opening scene of the movie. Yeah, and it was just that's so to establish the the tone <laughs> exactly. And that's so upfront. They yeah. don't for, not for a second. They do don't they pretend. hide a face. They don't no. anything. No. Yeah. So that's what's so interesting about the film is that the film really reveals to you what is happening right right away in the opening scene. It doesn't yeah. be like. Who's killing these people? We know. They yeah. even show you uh, when the sheriff, um, Dan, goes to the diner and gets his coffee, that the waitress who gives him his coffee is one of the girls who murdered him. Yeah, and, and, and there's she's a, acting all like, oh my god, I can't believe someone died. Or, yeah, and, and then there's that. like a yeah. close-up on her face as it like, moves I actually kind of thought it was kind of interesting. Uh, the, the name of the town kind of gives away the whole plot um, because Potter's Bluff is like a Potter's Field is where they bury dead bodies. And a bluff oh, is a big deception. Nice. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> yeah, I'm dumb. <laughs> I've only I've seen it like 90 times. So like, uh, eventually I was like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's great, actually. That's awesome. But yeah. it, it, it's just so interesting to me that it reveals all this to you to up front and then still manages to like fuck with you and still manages because you because you spend the rest of the movie being like what the hell is going on i've never seen yeah. a horror movie operate in like the realm of like here's the killers in the opening scene exactly. right. what the fuck is going on Because that's what i was doing the first like 30 45 minutes i was kind of going what is the mystery because I, <laughs> I know that there's something here that i don't know but i couldn't even figure out like what i was looking for or anything like that you're pretty much in the perspective of uh of dan the whole time right yes like, uh, yeah. and, and that I found very interesting. It was very, uh, I was just intrigued from start to finish because of that, because establishing the killer right away and it, it makes it almost like the mystery is reversed it, instead of, right. you know, finding out who the killer is, we're finding out why this is happening, what's why going happening, on, yeah. all the background Definitely. behind it. So that, that was very intriguing. Yeah, well, because I've really just never seen, like, a zombie film operate in this way because ultimately yeah. it was revealed that that's what this is. There is reanimated corpses, and that's what right. is coming back and, and, and killing these people, and maybe that's also how they're building their masses. We'll get into some more of the specifics of those plot elements when we get closer sure. to the end. But when you operate on the fact that this is like a zombie film, it just it doesn't have a quality to it that reminds reminds you of that. It, it does yep. feel like a small-town American rural film has been infected a tiny bit by a Romero film. 
Right. But even more so, he's more it, like the Wicker Man for a lot of. The honestly, time. it's like the Wicker Man and like Invasion of the Body Snatchers yeah. at the same fucking time. Yeah, which is like, like a <laughs> crazy like, to, like to a, a weird fucking <laughs> quality to have. Because honestly, yeah, Wicker Man. When some of the small town rituals start coming out, the most Wicker Man scene in the entire film is that classroom scene. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And That's I love like how right he's like, Man. I love how he's admiring her because he's like in love or whatever. He's like, oh, he's just. Just teaching the children, the next generation, you know, all that. And then she starts like, and then you rip the heart out and you bury it. And his face, the turn, is just, oh my God, it's fantastic. Yeah, because she's like, oh, she's, she's being cute. She's she's right. teaching the kids about the idea that, you know, people write zombie stories. There's a history there. Yeah. And then instead she's talking about the very specifics of reanimating corpses and yeah. how it's done. And With, and all the kids have like smiles on their faces as they're like, learning the ritual Whoa. and shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's again, great. that has a very creep, creepy Wicker Man thing to it. But For also, sure. and I, I don't really know exactly why I got this vibe uh, in the early scenes, but I was sitting there going, and there's something just so strange and off-kilter about the interactions he has with people, which is obviously part of Invasion of the Body Snatchers in that, like, you know, they're snatching bodies and they're and so so he's not he's interacting with things that aren't really there right. there's a weird quality to those interactions he doesn't feel like he's talking to a person so it has a little mm-hmm. bit of that but i was reminded because of the weirdness of it i was reminded a little bit of the way that like fulci characters will talk to each other sure. and i got a little oh, yeah, bit of a sure. fulci vibe from it and then a needle goes through someone's eye yeah. and i was like okay Dude. well that's just fulci <laughs> oh that, yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. that was one of the uh that that was a a, sh- a sh- shrill up moment, you know, where I was just kind of like, oh my God, that was visceral. Oh. Like they, because the detail, like they show the, makeup effects, the yes. entire uh, syringe just go into the guy's eye. And then yeah, it's unlike Carpenter, there. this is not implied violence. No. This is no, the very full explicit. Yeah. And uh, cutting makeup here done by uh, Stan Winston, who's uh, v- very famous, but very famous because he does very specific creature designs usually. He's not usually the overall makeup artist. He's kind of like the guy who does... Um, he's brought into a job because they're like, we got a difficult fucking character you got to pull off. Yeah. They call in this guy. He did the Terminator. The actual Predator. Terminator. Yeah, he did Predator. He did uh, Danny DeVito in Batman Returns. Oh my God. Uh, he did the, all the toys in Small Soldiers. Uh, he did the alien and aliens. Holy shit. Uh, so, uh, um, means business. Yeah. He's done some yeah. crazy stuff. And so he does a lot of them. He did the makeup for this film and the gore effects like that, uh, dude who, oh, gets it shows his, yeah. the, the it guy shows. who gets acid poured into his nostrils. Right. Yep. And then it just comes pouring out of like every his eyelids, his, his mouth oh. melting through his face oh. and they freeze on it too. Like it's not one of those things where it's like a three second, <laughs> The entire time that he's getting acid put into his body, the the shot is just stationary right on his face. Mm-hmm. It never lets up. It's unbelievable. And, and it then also you can shows get the, like, the full um, the full recreation of the corpse, like towards the end. It's just that just him showing off. Honestly, it's so oh, well yeah. done. That was one I was gonna was gonna include because I even put in my notes that I like it looks legitimately real. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like when he when he pulls the uh, the eyelid. Uh, and then mm. puts the oh, the, yeah. the eyes in and everything. Like at that point, I'm like, I just I couldn't believe it. Yeah, like <laughs> I I truly could not believe those special effects. Yeah, no that that part's great too, and that introduces us to the mortician character played by Jack Albertson, who is the grandpa from Willy Wonka, uh, <laughs> Uncle Joe. Yes, yeah. and uh, <laughs> right, Uncle Joe. 
it's it's interesting watching his character because he becomes kind of like the most interesting character in the film once it's revealed like that he's kind of like behind a lot of what's happening here but you do get some early vibes from him early in the film where he's talking about the idea of oh yeah being a mortician as artistry the idea of, mm. of of recreating a body for a funeral is like really important he's like this is art i'm the artist he's like what do you remember the box he's like the body is the memory um and an interesting development is that eventually we're getting into an entire plot where uh while they're murdering the people one detail really kept fucking with me and that was that they kept taking photos and i was trying to figure out why the fuck they were taking photos and then it really i realized closer to the end that it's like the most important thing that they do in the fucking film because right. they take those photos so that he can recreate their reconstruct bodies it from yeah. yeah from the photos so then he's getting into the idea of the body is memory but then also pictures are memory yeah. And then the pictures become flesh, and then uh, he's he's recreating them through the photos, and then it gets into a really interesting idea about a zombified like culture, like mimicking a time that doesn't really exist out of comfort. It actually reminded me a little bit. We just talked about it recently, uh, a boy and his dog. Oh, nice! Uh, because of that really creepy bunker with the clowns underground. Right. It's where, like this established society where they've all agreed upon this kind of gross right, but they're, way the, of living. Yeah. They're trying to relive like waspy pre-world war ii america and, and they'll they, and they'll kill anything that might stop it well yeah and, and yeah and they are to do it they are willing to like frankenstein it together right using like this really like fascist order in order to do yeah, it even to though just uphold this kind of illusion this image this yeah societal exactly societal illusion so when you realize like that's where when i found out that that was where this film was going and then the way that it uses sort of like found footage in the last like 10 yeah. minutes and the way that it it's uses, interesting not, i don't think i've seen a zombie film with like snuff footage like it was giving me eight <laughs> millimeter vibes at a certain point yes uh so like that really like took this film to like the the next level for me because there there is like a really creepy small town um like sort of like gothic foggy coastal town thing that obviously carpenter was doing a little bit in the fog yeah but mm -hmm. taking it into this like city of the living dead wicker man invasion of the body snatchers all combined uh, it, was, it was throwing my brain through like a loop i couldn't oh, believe yeah. this was like especially the movie. last half hour like oh my fucking god and i mean even the way that sherman directs it with like this really like compositional stillness and deep focus that obviously is resembles photographs which is yeah the thing that he's going for um and then also like this very small town cobble like rocky beaches and that eventually gives way to like this really like grimy basement cobweb gothic kind of thing yeah. that he's going for i also love the image of uh it's when the that family goes and they crash their car and then oh it, that it part's shows so good this, yeah it's great because they they have this awesome part where they show all the townspeople walking in a group towards them mm -hmm. and all that's they're silhouetted and all you can really see is the light from a, a street light and it's it's interesting because they're moving slowly so it gives you this vibe of like zombies but you know that they're just normal townspeople and so it's kind of got this weird evil uh hive brain thing going on right and uh it's it's a great image really good image no there's a lot of really creepy set pieces i mean i think Obviously, the opening one is is terrifying, but even yeah. that brief bit where they find him in the accident, and oh, oh yeah, and, and, oh and, boy, and we're watching the lead character, the sheriff, who thinks he's coming across coming across an, an accident, but there's a dramatic irony to it where like we know that this right. guy wasn't killed in an accident. We watched his murder because they revealed it to us, yep. and then the way that he still 
he he turns his head which is like a little bit charred a little bit stripped of skin you can see the muscle and you can see the eye and you can see the teeth and the gums <laughs> and then he just screams yeah into the camera and i think that, that there's something there that's just saying it's like even he knows that this is an unnatural thing like this is right this is not what is being presented to him because i mean you'd yeah. think as a as a cop granted it's a small town so maybe he hasn't dealt with many really violent things that he wouldn't look at a dead body and, and scream unless he was very taken back by it, you know? So I thought that that was an interesting thought. Well, no, because isn't, isn't it the body that screams Oh, at yeah, him? the body screams. Oh. Yeah, the body's alive. And it's, oh, I misread it then. That's my bad. No, it's it's because uh, the, the body... I thought it was either Dan or uh, Hobbs. That's no, because, because the, the corpse actually, upside down, turns its head towards the camera and opens its mouth, and that's when the scream comes. Okay, right, right. So I just misread it then. Okay. But still, like a real again, that is even more to your point. Like that's incredibly unnatural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that even, would and that would be something anything, he definitely hasn't more seen. Yeah, <laughs> it has one of my he definitely uh, hasn't seen one of my that. favorite uh, um, one of my favorite horror images in general. Like it's always stuck with me is when in that earlier part you were talking about with the family uh, crashes their car and they're exploring like this abandoned house and there's just little you keep seeing people move by the windows behind them. You know the townspeople are after them. Mm. There's a shot where the father of the family like opens the door to reveal another room with a door at the far end. And just as he's closing the door, you see the opposite door start to open, but you don't get to see anything else. And it's just so masterfully done. It's like such That's a perfect, great. Oh, so good. Yeah. That sequence was really good. The only, the only thing I, I didn't quite like about the, the house sequence with the family was just after they knocked on the door for help and then opened the door and then went into the building and then saw all the cobwebs yeah. and shit. You're kind of like, this isn't the home, you know, this isn't, <laughs> yeah. this isn't the house that's going to help you. Maybe just go to the next door neighbors or something, but they just, they just insist and keep going inside. But I mean, it's, you know, at that point, who, who really cares? I'm, I'm nitpicking, but, uh, Do it I thought nitpick. it was funny. <laughs> doesn't it go from, doesn't it go from their car, like leaving town ostensibly and then it like crash cuts to their car being drenched out of a river with yes. all them dead. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. No, like there's there's a lot of like the way that this works as a procedural that technically we already know the answers to gives right. this like mm -hmm. a really strange way of watching it. Yeah. Um where you're you're watching these killings happening, you you it's not shying away from from obviously who's doing it. Like even that bit where the the girl who kills him in the opening scene is dressed up as a nurse and they hold that wide shot of the nurse walking into the room that they just walked out of. Yeah. And that's when she brings the needle in and stabs him in the eye with the fucking needle and then like quickly walks out. Yep. And they kind of use her throughout the film as like, uh, just, just one of the, the main people that seems to do a lot of the killing. Like she's even near the end when Dan is being revealed all the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. She's the one that is the last to say, I'm sorry about your wife or whatever when that whole scene right. scene is happening mm -hmm. and then attacks him. So it's it, I don't there's something about her every time that she after the first scene where she, you know, kind of brings that that photographer in, as soon as she's on screen, you just get the chills. You're just like you know something off is going to happen. Well, and I, and I got to confess Dan's a little slow. Yeah. He's a <laughs> yeah. Hello. He's a, he's a, I mean, he, he had to uncover some weird shit. I'll give him credit. I couldn't have predicted where the film was going. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. But Well, that kind of plays into the, the final reveal, I guess, of the film. Yeah. Well, and, and he, like, but he finds witchcraft and voodooism, oh, the yeah. book, with a dagger in his wife's, <laughs> like, sleeping drawer. And is like, hey, what's up? 
what's up with this? And she's just like, oh, it's for the students. I'm going to... Not even like more suspicious. <laughs> it was like, that's yeah, weird. Right. <laughs> I, I prefer it to be just for you, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then she also gives him the film reel to go and get developed. And when you and when you find out what's on that film, you're like, "That's a really why, sinister." Why didn't you just develop it yourself? Like, yeah. you're really just like trying to mess him up here. She's like, "Yeah, I'm trying to teach the students about narrative." <laughs> <laughs> so we got this Satan book. Um, I do. I do love how the found footage um, kind of elements of this film play into um, it being a procedural, where like. You're with the, where you're with Dan for the whole film, so it's him like putting these clues together. Um, I just like I really like that the element that that film reel plays in the in the finale, having it up on the big screen at the very end. It's yes. very dramatic. I also like how they. Uh, um, well, it, it reminded me of uh, didn't don't they do that in Lost Highway, the David Lynch movie, where they oh, had where he comes remember. in at the end and it shows his wife having sex with somebody over and over again on a screen. Oh, oh yeah. You're it right, kind of gave right. me those, those vibes a little mm-hmm. bit, but also, um, I love the way that they present the film because they show you at the first time, which is the first big reveal is that his wife has been dead the whole time. And he was, she, she was recreated and, uh, that she right. was in, in, in the same process that Jack Albertson has been. So they, the, the mob has been killing towns or tourists and then they take them to the mortician and right. the mortician, uh, adds them to the population. Exactly. He <laughs> yeah. reanimates the bodies. He controls them using the heart. So instead of burying their bodies, they bury their hearts and their caskets in which he controls them. And through that montage where he shows you rebuilding that one girl, yeah, which is one of the craziest makeup uh, effects it's of the unbelievable. thing, where piece by piece through it's these like, dissolved images, he's... Yeah, it just fades into the layers. Well, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it starts with him peeling her face off. Yeah. And, like... Starting being, from scratch. Yeah, going to the skull, and yep. then starting from scratch, and then lifting the eyelid with no eye in it. It's fucking... <laughs> it's batshit. Disgusting <laughs> as shit. Um, and then he, that's when he goes to the guy with, with, like, he goes to the guy with the flesh of the bodies, and he's like, yeah, this body's been dead for, like, three or four months. And uh, that one really creepy scene, too, that I wanted to hit before we get to that big climax... For sure. ...where he... Uh, He's he's talking to the guy who tells him that hey uh, it must be the like the the CSI guy who is in the town I don't know why the town has a guy like that uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> doesn't he like it uh, wouldn't help them. Out of town? <laughs> oh yeah maybe maybe he does because he he went to the city for his degree in criminology so right. he probably yeah. calls a guy in but that's the guy who gets his face uh, acidically melted by sending yeah. acid up his oh, nostrils yeah. oh yeah and the thing is is the next scene where he talks to him is post that happening. Right. So like that's oh, shit. <laughs> that's that's like the like the first time it hit me that that was what was really happening yeah, is yeah. when he goes back and he talks to the guy who we just watched his face melt and we, and, see... and we know that that guy's face just fucking melted right because we do <laughs> see this weird thing where uh after he recreates the girl like mm-hmm. does it from scratch he leaves and then when then it shows this dark figure that seems to like touch her or do something I can't yeah. really remember but then she gets up and so you have this one second reveal a little bit and, and mm-hmm. then it just starts to slowly give you more answers. But they, they do such a good job of just pacing this un- unveiling because yeah. this whole time, like every single time they gave me an answer, I was satisfied and I was also, <laughs> I was just wanting so much more. And then, mm-hmm. um, 
I'll three save, more questions. Yeah, I'll save. Well, the, yeah, uh, what I was gonna say, and that that totally like leads us into like the the really big yeah, uh, yeah. finale stuff here, where like which is awesome. As he's been so uncovering good. this mystery about the fact that maybe a lot of the people he's talking to are dead people who have been reanimated and painted, and he even sees like bits where like he grabs the film reel from a guy whose arm is like half falling off. There's another <laughs> guy who's like a, one of the kids in the lab is like actually like painting himself, and he looks at like the the makeup that the guy was using to paint his own arm to make him look like a. Uh, right, like, yeah, those like, slow like details are fantastic. So the way that it builds these slow details into, he finally, he has the film reel. He watches the film reel, and it's this really creepy found footage, uh, eight millimeter film that he plays and watches for himself. And it's this entire mob moving into this house where there's this couple having sex, and um, all of a sudden the girl underneath whips out a knife and starts just stabbing the guy in the back while the entire mob is watching and like very happy about it (laughs) and then there's the body the guy's body moves slightly out of the way and we get the reveal that it's his wife who was in the bed stabbing the shit out of the guy and he's just like holy fuck flips out and then she comes into the lab which is just like yeah when when he goes to confront jack albertson as the as the mortician who has been doing all this and he get they get that hint of detail that he was like uh fired from his previous position for like doing shit with bodies like uh like reanimator style uh and um yeah that that like mad scientist angle that it kind of takes in the last bit where he goes into his lab and they're showing the film as the the film on screen everywhere even the stuff that he's saying to them i found really interesting where he was like they had to be disfigured because i had to make them look like they used to and he says when people are sick uh or when, when people are dead they don't get sick they don't age they are even more beautiful than when they are alive right um, and then he, he believes in this so much that he even asks him to kill him where he says, pull the trigger, help me become like one of my children, like this kind of thing. Like he's on like this full, like power yeah, trip. Doesn't even say it. something similar to like, it's like, uh, you, you can kill me, but you can't make me dead or yes. something like that, which is just such a great line. <laughs> such a cool yeah, little, but then he introduces sci-fi the horror line. and she, and he was like, see, she only appears alive. And she's like, no, like she is alive. Like I live with her. I have a life with her. Like <laughs> she this- just recite, like starts reciting these kind of like suburban wife and things and you're just part of her face peels off. Yeah. And like- yeah. And, and it's crazy too, because the first scene, a lot of these times they establish maybe like a, like a friction in the marriage or something. But the first scene with them, it's just very wholesome. It's just, I love you, baby. I love you too. They hold each other. They kiss each other. It's nice. And then to have this scene to contrast that where it's like all those just normal things that you're supposed to say or whatever is exactly what she's been doing. It's just, it's almost trained, you know, it's well, yeah, not well, real. That's, that's part of what it's, it, it's getting at is it, yeah. couldn't, it couldn't have those imperfections because the whole point is he's trying to create something picture perfect. Right. He's like the exactly. only way to really achieve this picture perfect vision of small rural America that we have is by literally programming these corpses to do yeah. it and achieving it through violence and achieving it and, you know. And so repetition, like, just keep it going. Well, and, and then it gets into the existentialism of if you are dead and you are being programmed to just, like, he realizes that he's being a small-town sheriff. That's his gig. Yeah. And when the wife figures it out, is she says, Dan, I'm dead, please bury me. Yeah. As, and that's one of the it's like she know like that's it's one like of the darkest moments is yeah. where she goes this is legitimately sad yeah. this moment for sure oh that whole like, scene is so so tragic yeah like I've never seen okay like 
sprint. She's buried herself except for her face. Yeah. And then she just like looks at him, says like "I love you" or whatever, and then buries her own face <laughs> to, to to put her back into the dead, you know, the 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 grave. And there's such a sadness because then after that you get that initial sadness, and then you watch Dan, who's just crying hysterically, covering the grave with dirt yeah. before all of these zombies come up and start. Offering condolences this. because and because, because their thoughts too like well, yeah. it didn't seem like it seemed like they were almost making this I don't know universal connection at this point or something like well, that. Be, well, and for me they were they were programmed to do the small town thing, which is the small town right. neighborly thing is of to course. go and offer your condolences for the guy's loss. And he's like, "You're all fucking dead." And, and then in on this, <laughs> and then he's dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's the okay. This is at this point too, like where all these reveals were happening. I. I will say that I I kind of saw him being dead, like it just had to come. I it's feel only like. natural. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I they, felt, they, they beat the sixth sense. To I literally the, said it. I was dead. just like, he's dead. Come on, please make him dead. And then the last scene, baby, they give it to me, and it's <laughs> I've said I've never been more satisfied. Oh, yeah, I swear wa- to God. watching him show the rest of the footage because he's been so distracted that it's his wife yeah. in the bed in the footage that he doesn't continue to watch the film after that. And the, just, it's the, um leaves, the mortician yeah. comes back to life and plays the last little bit. I think. That he, he didn't show before. Yes, right. And he, and and, and he, and he shows him that he's the one who was stabbed by his wife in the bed. Yeah. He's yeah. actually dead. And it's just, oh my god. And then he looks at his decaying fingers. Mm-hmm. And what it, it, Dobbs says, come here, boy. Let, Let me, me fix, fix those for you. For you. Yeah. Credits! Credits! Oh! <laughs> that is, oh my god. I got chills just so thinking good. about it. I love it. I love I this watch movie. It again now. Fuck. <laughs> Thank I love you. This movie so much. Thank you so much for bringing this on. <laughs> yeah, I, I rant about Dead and Buried to everyone who will listen. It's like nobody talks about it, and everybody should. It's so good. It's so fun. So good. I can't believe this isn't a bigger cult classic. It's. It should be. It really yeah, should be. It really should be. Yeah. All listeners the, uh, go out and watch. Where's this. the Scream Factory release? Yeah, for real. For yeah. Real. No, they're actually they're absolutely should be i love it um because yeah even even because i was i was a little concerned like in the early goings because i was mm. kind of like i i had like this i had just got like this weird feeling about it yeah and then they mm. actually do cohere it into something yeah and in, in the plot and then it wasn't until you get to that film photograph stuff near the end that it started to cohere into something even like more meaningful for me and then by the time i was thinking about the film i was I was like, that's just literally one of the most well-constructed horror films yeah. probably I've seen from the 80s. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Um, Most, I mean, nowadays, it's really hard, in my opinion, to pull off a good twist, too. And there's, like, several in this that all threw me for a loop. Well, see, so. and I, I was just concerned when I was thinking about it. I was like, is it more than the twist? Is there just, like, is this oh, just... Oh, for uh, sure. I oh, think he it was dead the whole time. Isn't it crazy? And I was yeah. thinking about it, and I was going... That's, but, I think, why it works. But, it's because it's more than that, you know? Well, because, yeah. because yeah. there is an existential quality to the way that you sort of watch people walk through just, like, this picture-perfect programming. You yeah. watch them be like i'm the sheriff i'm the sheriff's wife i'm this guy in the town and the way that we in, we deal in stories with like archetypes and stuff like that the way that you look at and so when i was thinking about that and then i was thinking that this whole time there's the creator who's been like making this yeah um you get an idea about like performing through images like this rural town but when really it's like this mutilated reanimated husk that's been uh painted through literal pictures that we've watched the characters take throughout the whole thing. And then you get Gary Sherman's like picturesque kind of style that he's going for too. 
And like, it really cohered into something like, uh, a lot more meaningful, um, uh, to me. And the fact that there ends up being sort of like power at play in it, um, and that Jack Albertson goes full mad scientist, like, uh, that's great. And, I mean, it, it cues us into what we're going to be talking about next week. It goes full mad scientist, like unhinged <laughs> power mode. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that's why the twist ends up being kind of like in like a soci sociology kind of way, kind of like mm. more fascinating than just, Oh, the guy was dead. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> feel like it was built for the twist. You know, it felt oh, yeah, it, exactly. this whole time it's, when it's, these twists were being unveiled, it felt natural and necessary. Like I do hate when it's just like big veil. It was all a dream or yeah. like that kind of shit, you know? Yeah. But you know, and or he's dead the whole time. I mean, that that's been a that's a trope at this point. But the way that they unveil it, and the way that they present to you, I think it's because they almost like distract you with the initial towns killing mm -hmm. that you just kind of oh, forget yeah. about some of the deeper shit until it's right in your face. So yeah, uh, yeah it, it's it, great. It definitely, in my opinion, gets really well something about this idea that like the very thing we're told is our life, is our surroundings, the things that we built. Like, what if those things were already dead and yeah. we're just pretending that they're that they're not? It has it's for me. That's why it made it a perfect double feature with the fog because it became an image of not just these characters. It became an image of an entire town, and this town was built from pictures by a fucking crazy zombie man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So then, so then it's, you, it's then two you, movies about two towns built on lies. Yeah. So, so that, that's, that's when I, I feel like when I go back and I rewatch this at some point, I'm going to be watching the whole movie looking for it. I, I kept, I kept thinking about that. The, the Potter's bluff, a new way of life. And like the yeah. way that even, even the way that he gets into like these, you know, these old photograph styles of, of, of old towns. And it, it, it does make for an interesting allegory with the fog as like um, a way of wrestling with like the origins of the things that we live in and, and being in a small town. And yeah. something was going on. People were scared about small town shit in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, I kind of like this that analogy too where it shows that one, I think it's his assistant and he's painting himself. Yes. And it kind of gives me mm. that whole thing, like the analogy of like, in this kind of a fake society, you're you're really just playing a part and it could take a toll on you. Mm -hmm. So him having to reapply his own makeup because it's just, you know, I just, I really like that, that symbolism there. Um, yeah. And yeah, I really liked the idea of a doctor who yearns for death. That just, yeah. that's just like a, a clever irony that I for sure. uh, can, can get behind. A hundred percent. And, and because, and he yearns for death because death can be more perfect than life. Cause right. he can, you can control it. it. Yeah, you can sculpt it. <laughs> Perfection. Yeah. So yeah, I find that stuff really good. Yeah. Beautiful film. Um, but entering pivoting here to the reductive rating round. Uh, yeah, this one definitely gets the high four for me. Yeah. Um, I am shocked that this isn't talked about more. I mean, I, I had I a couple. Too, I had yeah. a couple people recommend it to me, but not enough people recommend yeah, it to me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed that not more I think. people recommend yeah. this to me. Yeah. <laughs> crazy uh so thanks to you trevor for bringing this on i mean for, for all the reasons you've already yeah. said i think that this is like a really intoxicating mix of like a little bit of romero a little bit of fulci a little bit of um sort of like small town uh picture perfect americana something like it's a wonderful life and then some wicker man folk <laughs> exactly kind of putting stuff in there exactly putting it into the wicker man folk horror and a little bit of like invasion of the body snatchers and also i realized watching this what it reminded me of thematically which it, what it was closest to that i've seen uh it reminded me of uh, sam fuller's the naked kiss 
Oh, okay. Because that was oh, also about that. the idea of investigating a picture-perfect ideal of a small town. Yeah, yeah. And then the sickening underbelly underneath it that's kind of there that you can kind of feel, but you don't really... It even has that scene at the very end where it's like the truth is revealed, but they're upset with her. Yes, because for revealing. she's the one that's revealed the, the horribleness that's in the town. Yeah, that their, their town was yeah, literally sure. funded and built by a pedophile. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> well, not that. <laughs> that bad timing. <laughs> I do not like that. <laughs> um, but so, so, so to good mix, analogy. Though. So to mix something like that and bring it into honestly, I get a little bit of like a, a Lovecraft, um, a oh, little bit yeah. of a sort For of sure. like rural paranoia, and yeah. then and and a sense of like history manifested into like tangible horror so for me you mix all of that you take gary sherman who very again knows what he's doing with all these sort of like still compositions and deep focus compositions to match this idea of of old photographs and the photographs that all the characters are taking and then mixing that with like just this gut punch like viciousness and nastiness to the actual violence um, itself and kind of like a focus on what you can see versus like what you can feel. Um, I gotta say, uh, I had like a hell of a, an experience watching this for the first time and yeah. I'm really excited to like get another round with it now that I kind of know the structure and the form a little bit better. Yeah, mm-hmm. 100%. definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a high four as well. Um, it was, it, honestly, it was really close to the five. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't quite get there. Maybe, maybe on a few other watches, but uh, it's very, very high up there. The I just I it, love it, how it he is unveiled. probably the best thing I've seen by Gary Sherman though. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I do think I I like this more than than Vice Squad personally. Um, uh, but uh, I just love his this this whole analogy of like the kind of fake suburban life or or the, this fake town's life where everyone has a role, but they're the only reason that they can uh, hold it together is. Based on this this uh, this kind of this lie and this this violence that drives them to be able to do to keep going, um, it, it's just it's fantastic and the slow reveal like I I think it's a great great choice to make you uh, uh, have the perspective of Dan the whole time mm-hmm. uh, so that you you know the the uh, well I guess you don't necessarily like it's it's pretty much like the first forty five minutes. You're you're with Dan, but you know a little bit more, and then it cuts to like when you're when you're right there with you're him. you're much more ahead of him because we get the yeah, scene with yeah. where he's rebuilding the body, and I, for me the reveal kicked in at the exact moment that he's talking to the dude whose face was just destroyed with acid like a scene ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Because as soon yeah. as that happened, I was like, holy shit, he just remade that guy. Right. And programmed him to have a conversation with Dan. Yeah. And, and I love at that point. And, and, and Dan's just having a conversation with a friend. And I'm sitting there going, dude, you're talking to a fucking dude whose face just melted. I don't think you yeah. understand the severity of what's going on here. But I also <laughs> do love because at that point, Dan is starting to get into the whole like, maybe voodoo is happening here. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. he's almost in this thing where he's, he's leading towards the truth. Mm-hmm. But because of that, it, because the truth is so bizarre... He almost feels like he's can't. going insane well, a little bit. Well, you can't conceptualize it. Like, right, yeah. and and no one obviously in the town is going to, you know, let up and let him know what's going on because that's a, a whole part of their... Even though they're basically little... just doing it in the open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not too subtle about it for sure. But anyway, uh, I love this movie. I highly suggest it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a high four. Sweet. Oh. For you, Trevor. 
Um, so I, I've loved this movie since I saw it when I think I was in grade 10 or 11 high school. Wow. Um, so this is a five for me. It's like one yes. of my all time favorite movies. Love it. Um, all for all the reasons that both of you said, honestly, um, yeah. it just hits, it just ticks so many boxes for me. I love small town horror. Um, I love folk horror. Um, I love how this borders over into almost like weird fiction or like, not not quite cosmic horror, but like in the same realm, like you were saying, Lovecraftian. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just uh, a masterfully done film. Like it's just everything works exactly right. Um, it's even more impressive because it was originally pitched as a dark comedy, and oh. then they 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 basically I think the investor pulled out or something, and that project wasn't going to happen, so they completely retooled it and made it more of a full on horror film. Interesting. And yeah, I can see and it no, both ways for sure. Oh, for sure. The mortician feels almost like a leftover, a little bit of that yeah. kind of dark comedy atmosphere. For sure. Um, but just to, just how masterful it is, I think everything works. It's just an engine flying on like all cylinders um, to do this really unique um, zombie invasion, the body snatcher style, like yeah. folk horror <laughs> cult thing. Yeah. So a big fusion I, of things. I honestly don't know another. I don't know another horror movie specifically like this at all. I, I can't think of anything quite like it. And yeah. I'm just, yeah, like you, you said, I'm, I'm boggled that it's not brought up in retrospectives and talked about online more. Yeah, yeah it's well, I mean, I, I'm surprised Gary didn't do like more horror. The only other like uh, big horror stuff I can see was, was, was death, was Deathline. And uh, Deathline is really good, but it's not, it's not dead and buried good. No, but it's it is definitely not quite really there. good. Um, but, um, he also, I guess, did Poltergeist 3, which I've never seen. Oh, right. I've seen that, but it's been, like, a decade, so I'd have to rewatch it. <laughs> that movie is cool because of all the, there's, like, a million really weird mirror gags in that movie. But that's, yeah. like, the main reason to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only thing I remember is the guy, like, grabbing his cheek and then ripping it open or something like that himself and revealing some, some type of creature or something. I don't remember too much, but. Nope. Nice. Well, he also did. Nice. He also did an action movie with Rutger Hauer called Wanted Dead or Alive. So, well, we like Howard. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Gonna check that out. Is that the one called uh, the alternate title was Night of the Juggler? <laughs> might have been great name, <laughs> Night of the Juggler. It might be. I don't know. <laughs> sweet. That's killer. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was The Fog from 1980 and Dead and Buried from 1981 thanks so much trevor for coming on of course these films with you thank you this was so fun this is no great problem at all if you've got anything that you want to plug now would be the uh time to do it um uh nothing really going on i'm i just i'm constantly doing commission work online if you have any need of uh album art or a movie poster or book cover anything like that a podcast logo <laughs> a yep. podcast logo absolutely i will do art for podcasts whatever you want um <laughs> we can highly recommend it <laughs> yeah uh, by that's experience all. we had we had you a great you can uh, you can follow me uh on twitter at uh, slimy swamp ghost and i just uh i basically just <laughs> vent about movies and draw ghosts and that's it <laughs> nice sweet Sounds well, awesome. on, yeah. on, on your recommendation, both of us watched uh, VFW recently, which we had a fun time. Oh, yeah, it was good. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I watched that back to back with um, After Midnight. If you haven't seen that one yet, that oh. one just knocked me on my ass. It's so good. It's cool. so good. 
after the, the VFW is really fun as well, though. <laughs> I'll watch list that one too. Gonna look it up. Yeah, yeah. I think we might end up doing uh, VFW maybe on a bonus transmission when we get a time to do another. Oh, yeah. I'd love to talk about. That. Nice. We should talk about um, Bliss as well. Bliss is amazing. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we we actually we did briefly. We did, yeah, we brought uh, it up on our uh, I best put it of on last my year. Honorable mentions on our top ten list. Uh, nice. And uh, but we didn't really get to like discuss it, discuss it. So maybe we will. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was yeah, that was sure. th- that was fun talking about sort of a bit of a. That was a cool uh, one. I really like a bit of a Ferrera riff there, Driller Killer, yeah. the addiction kind of thing going on. Yeah, nice. Um, so that was fun. Um, but for our listeners, we are going to be back in uh, one week's time with a bonus episode for you guys um, on some mad scientists. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, next week or the week after, I think there is a remake of The Invisible Man coming out. Um, oh yeah by um lee winnell of saw and upgrade fame and uh it looks like a bit of a departure yeah from, it does, uh, for sure other mad looks like they're dealing more with films. like domestic violence instead a little bit so yeah. I'll, I'll be curious to see how it goes because i, I typically like uh winnell and i typically like elizabeth moss a lot too so i'm curious yeah, to check too. it out but in honor of that we are going to go back and we're going to do the original 1933 the invisible man yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's awesome. Movie. So fun. Very Great adaptation good. of H- the H.G. Wells story. Those effects are crazy, too, for the oh, 30s. Yeah. For 1930s, they're pretty insane. Um, and we're going to be pairing it with uh, a sort of later film that uh, fits very uh, well, sort of thematically, and I guess in terms of plot. We are going to be talking about Roger Corman's 1963 film, X. The man with the X-ray eyes. Oh yeah, uh, that's an amazing double bill. Yes. Yeah. So for uh, anyone who wants to listen to that episode, that's Patreon.com/slash/Thesoids-Podcast. That's going to be next week, next week's episode. Um, but in two weeks' time, we are going to be back with a special guest, uh, returning guest Perry Rulland, who previously brought on Akira and Tetsuo Two Body Hammer as his double feature. Uh, he recently. <laughs> just completed uh doing a short film and is working on a feature film but he's going to take a break from doing that uh to bring on the 1930s classic that jamie is super stoked about oh freaks. hell yeah hell yeah so we're going to be talking about freaks two 30s movies in a row we try we try a couple times a year to go back as far as we can go yeah because uh we kind of do based on the uh, name of this show end up sticking closer to the 70s and 80s. Yeah. So we're going to go to the 30s two weeks in a row. We're going to do Invisible Man and uh, Man with X-Ray Eyes, and then we're going to do Freaks. And so excited. Perry has paired Freaks with an anime called Midori. <laughs> Which we have heard is very out there. <laughs> is very gross and very out there. And I'm not quite sure how it's supposed to pair with Freaks, but I guess we will find <laughs> out I'm intrigued. when I watch it. Because They're I'm both a head- uh, circus setting. Oh, there we go. Well, yeah. There we go. So Perry yeah. does have something in mind. God, if it's a circus setting in that one anime and it's like just supposed to be insane, I just, I don't know. This is going to be crazy. Yeah. So what in two episode. weeks' time, we're going to be talking about Freaks and we're going to be talking about Midori. Um, so get to watching those. We announce them in advance specifically so you guys can, yes. <laughs> you guys can we'll, keep on top of it. Because we'll spoil everything. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, yeah, that will wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening and, uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy, y'all.